Welcome, and thank you for being here. My name is Karen Mikus, and I am a registered nurse and end-of-life specialist. I am also the host of In the Gap, a collection of stories from folks who stand in and work in the gap between life and death. Our guest is Kate Mollison. She is the founder of On Tuesdays, We Wear Black, and I'm excited to have her here. I'm excited for y'all to hear her story. So let's just jump in. Hi, Kate. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for being with us. And where are you coming from? Where are you located? I'm in East Granby, Connecticut. Yeah. Awesome. Right by Bradley Airport, my central location. <laughs> awesome. So tell us about on Tuesdays We Wear Black. What's that? What's that all about? What is your business? So on Tuesdays We Wear Black is a grief coaching and resource consulting company. I help people navigate the bereavement process, cut through the red tape, get information. I do both advisory and consultative services for individuals and businesses looking to better understand and navigate the grief process. What's the difference between advisory and consultation? Consultation is really more of a personalized, curated hand-holding, if you will. It's anything I can take off your plate for you, I do. And that's things is like setting up appointments with estate lawyers and providing appointment transportation or companionship if you don't have immediate family to go with you, helping you step-by-step plan the funeral. Versus advisory is more me giving you the resources, the direct applications, giving you the places to go and do it without you having to do the legwork. Yeah, so all inside of grief. Yeah, really it's the bereavement process with a focus on grief. The difference being is bereavement is the the red tape, the the to-do list. There's tons of resources out there for mental health and being in grief. There's nothing out there to help you get through the stuff we have to do in order to do the things we need to do in order to be healthy. Filing for Social Security survivor benefits and planning a funeral and paying for a funeral and doing probate process and hiring an estate lawyer, getting your own affairs in order and so many different things. I could talk about it for hours. There's lots to do. And it doesn't matter if you're five minutes post-loss or five years post-loss. There's always something to be done. And my job is to help you find it and complete it as efficiently as possible. You mentioned it's your job. Like, were you cruising the classifieds or looking up on Indeed? How did somebody apply or come to be this as their job? How did that happen? So I actually created this business out of my own personal experience with widowhood. I was widowed in 2020 and I spent lots of time, 27 pages deep on a Google search, trying to figure out how do I do these things? And I identified that there was a huge service gap. Um, And so I created this in order to help other people not have to experience the time constraints, the hardship, the unknown that I did. So my job, my passion is to take that off other people's plates for them. Can you share a little bit about your your widowhood? Absolutely. So I was married for almost 10 years to the love of my life. He was my soulmate. Craig passed away on November 25th, 
of 2020 due to medical negligence. So he went in for a routine orthopedic corrective procedure and the post-operative care, unfortunately, was mismanaged and it resulted in him pulling a blood clot. He suffered from a pulmonary embolism and he passed away unexpectedly. So it, it really it took us by surprise. We were blindsided by it. There was no long-term illness or things we were navigating. It was all very surprise. And I've got two small kids at home and we had our dream home. And so it was a matter of, of navigating how to handle all of that, going from a two-income household where he was the primary breadwinner. I was working retail management at the time, but he had a state job. Um, and you lose 60% of your income. And now you've got two small children under the age of, of 11. Son was 11. My daughter was 19 months old. And now it's, I'm it. Everything falls on my shoulders. There is no second set of hands. There is no five minutes to run to the grocery store. There is no, there's nothing. So you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps because you've got kids and you don't have a choice. So yeah, it, it was a very lengthy process. He passed away two days before Thanksgiving, the day before his birthday. Mm. He would have been 32. Mm -hmm. So November is hard for us, which understandable. The other surprising one is New Year's Eve because every year you go into a new year and he stays exactly at the same time. That yeah. was something that I wasn't expecting. That first New Year's Eve was like a gut punch. But then the, the subsequent ones, you're like, oh, this is so hard. Okay, this is going to be a holiday to... to <laughs> So, do you um, prepare? Reason. How do you prepare? I've learned to not brace for impact. That's probably the worst thing you can do is brace for impact. We get really good as a culture for anticipating an emotional upheaval. And so we batten back on the hatches and we like cushion ourselves from the blow. But the better way is to just lean into it, to speak your truth to other people. Like, I'm very transparent in general, but grief more so made me transparent where it's, hey, I'm not going to be at the phone today. Or, hey, I can't be alone today. And so I plan for people to come over. Um, and we usually play some of his favorite board games. And he has a curated playlist on his iPod that I still have. So we'll plug that in and we'll have a little dance party and have his favorite snacks. And I try to go to bed before midnight on New Year's Eve. Like, I don't stay up to watch the ball drop anymore. And that used to be a big part of our family culture. And that shifted where it's like, you know what? I would much rather go to bed and get a good night's sleep and wake up in the new year refreshed than to stay up and agonize over that change, that marching forward of time. And what about the... So I learned a really great trick, actually. If you go on, I don't know, for people who have various streaming devices, but if you go on like ABC News International, you can find the ball drop in like Sydney, Australia, and it happens at 8 p.m., so I can still have the festivities with the kids and then put them to bed at a reasonable bedtime and not keep my now four-year-old up until midnight. So we'll do our New Year's Eve thing. We'll have our normal time dinner and then she'll have her bath and she'll stay up to watch the ball drop and do a little mini balloon drop. We'll, we'll put that together and then I put her to bed and then I go to bed and everybody wakes up much happier the next day and it's New Year, New You philosophy, it's much better to start the new year well-rested and in a good headspace than agonizing and hungover from grief. Sure. Sure. And is there, so you are three and a half years, almost four years 
three years. It'll be three years in November. Okay. And are there, have you discovered any misconceptions about grief or the grieving process? Oh my gosh, there's so many. First of all, everyone thinks you get over it or are done with it or finish it. And and that's probably the worst thing is the mourning period will end. We all mourn, but grieving is forever. It's a facet of your personality forever from that moment on. And it is not linear. The stages of grief, we all are familiar with the very famous five stages of grief. There's more than that to it. They're very much more complex than that. And they're not linear. You can experience any of them at any time forever. And that's probably less than ideal. People really don't want to hear that. But the sooner we embrace that and lean into that and learn how to support that as a culture, as a community, as a society, the better the grieving process is. It's swept under the rug. It's taboo. It's uncomfortable. Nobody wants to talk about it. And that's the worst thing you can do. So biggest misconception is that grief is something you accomplish. I would also say the biggest misconception is the timeline. So Mm, we as a culture are very expedient on getting it done and being over with it, right? We plan a funeral in three days and it's the same amount of legwork as planning a wedding. And that takes months, if not years. Most people think you have to do it quickly. But I've learned, whether it be the constraints of the medical examiner or the funeral home or the state legislation, we have far more time than we're ever told or think or you can take a little bit more time to plan things and to accomplish things and not have to rush so quickly. Well, they died a week later. You're having the funeral. Yeah, you don't want to drag it out for months and months. But at the same token, you're not in a position to make any kind of financial decision and you're being forced to. Um, The worst advice that I've ever heard is don't don't make any big moves for the first year. That's not possible, especially if you have children. Like, don't make any big financial decision. No, move, but move with caution and education. And that's where I come to provide that space for education and support so people can grieve on a more appropriate timeline and be healthy and well. People think that it's, oh, you'll be fine. You're young. You'll remarry. You, at least you can still have more kids. All of these attitudes that people say to us and they think that they're being helpful. Also a giant misconception. Don't say the things to make you feel better because you're uncomfortable with death and dying and grief. Like you can't say something nice and don't say anything at all. <laughs> Always comes back to those old adages. Grandma was right. If you don't have something good to say, don't say anything at all. Um, you mentioned community, like the support from your community. What what role did your community or does your community play in this grieving process that you so beautifully illustrated like three years in and it's still just like yesterday? Yeah, there are days where it's still just like yesterday and there are days where it's a million miles away. I have to give a lot of credit to the school system here. They, with it being so close to the holidays and my older one taking time away from school and it wasn't quite Christmas break and uh, yeah, we were on Thanksgiving break, but like that's only a long weekend. They showed up at our house with a full Thanksgiving dinner 
the oh. day, like on Thanksgiving, like the entire faculty. And then the week before Christmas, they showed up. It was the entire middle school, not just his seventh grade class, but like kid after kid just bringing in like gift bags into our dining room. Like the school really rallied around us. They had gifts, not just for my son, but they had gifts for my daughter. They had gifts for my disabled parents. They had for me, they had grocery gift cards, gas gift cards. Like they brought like a meal train. They brought flowers. They brought someone shoveled my walkway while they were there. Like they really just like that show of support. Big, huge handwritten card from everyone in his class. Like they all find it. They gave him some extra time to accomplish work. They waived the work that he missed for that week that he was out. And he has ADHD with an IEP. So he had some accommodation, but they really went above and beyond and leaned into his mental health and support. But it wasn't just him. They didn't just support him at school. His school psychologist would come to the house once a week until we were able to get him into a therapy. And she's like, I'm just going to come and take him for a walk and let him talk or not talk. Knowing that at 11 years old, he might not be able to articulate his grief. And that was huge too, because I was, I was functioning for that first little bit and to have people just handle it for you without making you feel inadequate was huge. Yeah, it sounds. And I assume that they're still not making those visits now. No, they're not. But I do. So Matthew has uh, finished middle school and he'll be going into high school. He's going to a different school, but I still get the occasional email or if I run into someone at the grocery store, hey, how are you? And it's a really genuine question. It's not that like, how are you? That surface level face filler where they'll ask very specifically about not just Matthew, but about my daughter. Like, how is how are the kids? Like, how are you guys doing? And it's really nice to know that people haven't forgotten that tragedy that happened to us that completely changed who we are as a family at the core. Yeah. And then the town hall. So when I did start my business and I went and I got my business license, they were like, give me your business cards. Here's some connections. Make these phone calls. Let's put you in contact. They were very supportive from like a small business standpoint, from an education standpoint. They've offered me the opportunity to do um, workshops and seminars at their senior center at the public library. So they're really just rallying behind the grief support in general. And that's nice to see as well. That's remarkable, actually, to have that kind of support from a community at large so that you're not walking around head down, trying to just get through it, but really welcomed. Now, do you think it would have made a difference at all if somewhere along those first 10 years with you and Craig, if there was a conversation about, hey, if something happens to one or both of us, here's our plan. Do you think that would have made a difference for you and your family? I think in some ways, in some small ways, maybe when it came time to like the funeral pleading, because I'm no stranger to death. I grew up strict Catholic. So I've been going to funerals since I was knee high to a hubcap. It's not just what we do with Catholics. <laughs> so I, I wasn't unfamiliar with funerals, but having to plan one myself, I was in no headspace to make decisions. What do I do? I don't know. What does he want? I don't know. So if we'd had a little bit more in-depth conversation about 
choices. And Craig was a very, what's the word I'm looking for? He was a very low-key, easygoing, very unrattled type of person. He would joke often. He's like, I don't care. Put me in the chalk full of nuts coffee can and leave me in the bottom of the closet. Whatever's going to be better for you. Because we'd had some planning conversations. But I think the real opportunity for us would have been putting things in concrete. So he didn't have a will. And that absolutely complicated things because everything went through probate. And for those who are unfamiliar with the probate process, it's a night. Even as his... Yeah. So even as his wife, I lost the house because my name wasn't on the deed. My name wasn't on the mortgage. I had no legal claim to it. Marriage was. Mm. So six months after he died, me and my small children are leaving in our marital family forever home. And I am now scrounging for something, trying to figure out how to keep a roof over my kids' heads and keep them from having to change schools. If we'd had a will in place, I wouldn't have lost the house. And that's no fault of his or of mine, or it was more ignorant. We all think we have more time. The truth is you don't. You can step off a curb and be hit by a bus tomorrow and never know that's coming. We all think that it's, oh, that's not going to happen to me. It doesn't matter if it's going to. It's like car insurance. You would want it if something happened, but you really hope you don't have to use it. Why don't we think about life insurance and wills and estate planning in that same regard. Because honestly, it would have saved tons of money, tons of time, tons of headache, tons of heartache to have to grapple with his his death and his absence and then have to make these big decisions in a very expedient way. And the family was very supportive. His father was really great about just being supportive and being there. But it still was something wouldn't have been so challenging if we'd had those pieces of plate. And we'd had, like I said, we'd had conversations around what do you want done and what do you do and blah, blah, blah. And we had a basic idea, but it still didn't make it any easier. The thing that would have made it easier is estate planning. Yeah. And do, yeah. do you recommend your services even for somebody not in relationship or married or like singles and... It sounds like any age. Like, who would Everybody. be your ideal customer? Anybody who is going to die. So everybody. There's two things we can't avoid in life is death and taxes. And we don't talk about either one nearly enough. So why don't, why don't we change that? Let's have some dialogue around it. And it doesn't matter if you're married or if you have kids or if you... It doesn't matter. Everyone needs an estate plan. Because if you are, for example, an only child and you have parents a dog and this really cool apartment and you suddenly unexpectedly pass away, your parents now have to go through the probate process and fight essentially for custody of your dog and then manage what's going to happen to your apartment or any, if you have an investment portfolio or if you have outstanding student loan debt or any of that's now on your parents. Same thing. If you have a sibling that you're estranged from and mom and dad pass away, together in a car accident, God forbid, now you have to go through probate and fight with that sibling that you're estranged. Mom and dad should have gone and gotten an estate plan and decided how everything was laid out. It's the best gift you can give your next of kin, your heirs, your children, your parents, your family. That is the best gift that you can give them is that 
peace of mind that they don't have to make those decisions once they're now processing your absence. Wouldn't you want to make that process easier on your loved ones? Yeah. So when I'm hearing (laughs) my parents uh, turning 80 this year and their thing is I have two brothers and it's, oh, you guys know what we want. We've talked about it. And I think that my brothers and I think because we haven't actually had a conversation yet about mom and dad passing or one or the other even. And now just having this conversation with you, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I need to make some moves with my parents about estate planning just for those same reasons you just mentioned. So thank you for this conversation because I can now see that I need to have several conversations. My parents, my brothers, really sure beneficiaries are updated on life insurance policies or bank accounts or if you have a business that you own, making sure it's in trust. So that way it's protected from the probate process because that business can then be absorbed by the probate court and redistributed to any of your outstanding debts and heirs. Yeah, very good. Having all of that negotiated on legal paper makes a difference. And doing a living will, because a living will tell you like, do you want to be resuscitated? If, you know, have a code blue, or do you want to be cremated? Do you want to have a mariachi band at your funeral? What is it that you envision for yourself and people aren't good at we're not asking you to to plan the whole thing to nuts but give us some guidance and put it in writing and that way we can honor you in the way you want to be honored and we have the space and time and ability to grieve yeah and avoid and avoid probate everybody goes through probate that's another misconception everybody goes through probate just a matter of how much time and how much money you spend there. And the more things in legal documentation, i.e. trust, will, the less time and money you'll spend. Probate really is just enforcing those legal documents, making sure that everybody who's supposed to get paid gets paid in a timely manner. And if you don't have those documents, then they have to decide your worth and divvy up your assets. Do you want the court to do that for you? Probably not. Let's, let's do it ourselves. And I'm sure if you are grieving that mental process that added the stress added by probate is just it's probably not anything that most people can even get into our brains about what decisions that we're making versus court just because it's everything's clouded with grief. Yeah, absolutely. It's expensive, it's stressful, it's a headache, and I won't go into all the details that. I will say I did post a blog recently on my website that details the probate process. So anybody who wants more information can visit the website and learn free information about the probate process and a high-level overview. With us, what is that website? That is www.otwwb.com. On Tuesdays, we wear black. So definitely check out the site, the blog. I offer free educational resources and components, and then they can read more about the services that I offer as well in detail for anybody who's looking for more information on And you provide in-person and virtual meetings? Yeah, absolutely. So I try to meet people in the grief process where it's best for them. You want me to come to your house? Great. You want to come to my house? Great. I've got a dog. She likes to be snuggled. Some people need that. You want me to meet you at Starbucks? Great. What's your order? I'll get you a copy. Like, <laughs> where you want to come to my office? We can do... It's all about meeting 
people where they are in grief because that's the first step in really changing the dialogue around grief is knowing no two griefs are the same. No two people are the same. No two needs are the same. So how do we just honor people where they are and make it as accessible as possible? Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Kate, I am so grateful for your services, for your perspective and your voice. You are such an incredibly needed voice in this in this life that we get to live because it's all about living your fullest until the end and preparing for that end allows us to live. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really want to just express my condolences for your loss and let you know that I'm so inspired by the life that you are creating, not only for yourself and your family, right? Those two kids, but for others, like to really turn your grief into something that is powerful and in service of others is simply beautiful. And I can't wait. I'm going to introduce you to my parents because we need to get this stuff done. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. Absolutely. Let me help you. Grief is like glitter. You're going to throw it up in the air in a fistful and it's going to rain down and you're going to think that you vacuumed it all up, picked it all up. And then a year from now, six years from now, 20 years from now, you're going to go, how is there still glitter? Because it doesn't go away that easy. So we have to embrace the glitter. It's uncomfortable and terrible, but it doesn't have to be terrible in the closet. Grief sucks. Don't do it alone. Let me help you. Let's kick its butt. (laughs) Love it. Grief is like glitter. There you have it, folks. Another episode of In the Gap with your host, Karen Mikus, and today's guest, Kate Mollison. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining me as we explored the lives, the jobs, and the stories from the experts who spend their time in the gap. This show and all of our shows are live streamed to your favorite podcast platform.